0: The term passionate is a word thrown around and overused. Mountain life has become a hashtag for wannabe influencers. These words can overshadow and diminish the incredible people who actually live, work and play in the mountains. They have remarkable stories to tell and I'm on a mission to find them. I'm Ashley Pettit and this is the Beyond the Mountains podcast. My guest today is Fred Boutard. He's a high mountain guide, ski touring guide, gravel biking explorer, beer maker, and full-time dad, who spends his time between the French Alps and the Scandinavian mountains of Sweden and Norway. Before this interview, I didn't really know Fred that well. I'd only seen him around the village, out skiing, or at the local mountain bike event he's organizing. But he's someone I instantly liked and connected with, and knew I wanted to know better. So this was a great way for me to get to know Fred, and I hope you learn about him too. I try to do research about the people I'm going to have on the show, so who they are and what they do for a job. So I did a lot of reading about what a mountain guide does, and what makes a good mountain guide. I read somewhere that when you're in the mountains, you have to move with deliberate intent. move with purpose and be fluid with your movements. Observe your surroundings and look ahead to where you're going. This is how I feel Fred speaks and acts. He's very intentional and thoughtful when he's speaking, and I think this comes through in the interview. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Fred, because I know I did. Hello friends, I'm your host Ashley Pettit, and welcome to another episode of the Beyond the Mountains podcast where I talk to people who live, work and play in the mountains. Let's start the intro music, get on with the show, Alon Z.
1: Hello, my name is Fred Butard. I'm a part-time mountain guide, part-time biker, part-time splitboarder and full-time dad. And this is my mountain life.
0: Are ready? Allons-y. Allons-y. Fred Butard, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. So, we we're having a Swedish fika. Is, that, is I'm I correct uh, pronouncing that correct? Fika? Yeah, that, that's
1: how you say it, fika.
0: Why can you tell the listeners what a fika is and why I'm having a fika with you
1: today? Yeah, so the the easy easy explanation of a fika is just coffee and something to eat. Uh, so it could be sweet, like the nice cookies you brought today. It can be also sandwiches. But I brought how many cookies did I bring? Seven different kinds of cookies. That's, that's the rule, isn't it? That's the rule. It's yeah. really important. Uh-huh. And but the fika is is more a, a social moment during the day, during the work day. During the, even with the family, it's like twice a day, you sit down and you have this just small things to eat and cup of coffee. Yeah. And you can discuss work stuff or family stuff. It's, uh, I think everybody does it in Sweden.
0: And the other reason I would have, cho- I chose to have
1: a Fika is that because you, your wife is Swedish and you spend a lot of time up there. Absolutely. Yeah. My Charlotte is, is from Sweden and we've been living there for 12 years before we moved back to Morien. One and a half year ago. Yeah.
0: yeah, and the other reason I wanted to have a fika with you is because I don't really know you that well. I see you around the village, I see you out skiing, I see you mountain biking, but uh, I thought it'd be a great opportunity to get to know you better by having a fika, because there is uh,
1: social norms and ex- expectations when we have a fika. That's a really good idea, because that's exactly what it's all about: the fika, yeah. socializing.
0: Let's talk about um, your life in the Maurienne first, because that's where you grew up here in haute Maurienne and Bramon, where we, where we are now. So, uh, tell me about life as a kid growing up here in the in Bramon and
1: the French Alps. Well, I grew up in the Maurienne, uh, not all the time in Bramon. Um, my parents were from uh, Saint Michel originally, and we had this cabin in Bramon, so we spent um, yeah a lot of time here. All our weekends, all our holidays, and it was, um, yeah, that's what brought us closer to uh, nature and mountains. Even these 30 kilometers from Saint-Michel-de-Morien, it yeah, makes a big difference. It's a big difference, isn't it? Yes, it's, it
0: is. And when you come
1: here, is it still the same special feeling every time you come back
0: to Haute-Morien?
1: Yes, yes. There's the same same mountain, same trails, same everything. So, did
0: you go to school here or did you go to school in Saint-Michel
1: and, and here was more skiing and No so I, I actually I was at school in Annecy. Ah in Annecy. Yeah. Cuz oh, my mother was living there. Right. Yeah.
0: And all right, well let's talk about haute still but how's it changed
1: over those years? How did the valley change? Yeah. Mean? yeah. Like everything else it it became a little bit more crowded and a little bit bigger but as soon as you you're out in the nature it's Still the same, it didn't change.
0: What are your, some of your favorite areas to ski here?
1: Ah, it's hard to say because there's so many of them, but um yeah, I, I love to ski from Termignon from the resort and go touring or off-piece skiing there because that that's that's where I was skiing when I was a teenager. Yeah. And uh that that's that's the place I, I love the most. You know, going from Termignon up to the Montfroid and down to Bramang again and yeah,
0: it's this, pretty, this pretty nice.
1: Is, yeah, it's beautiful. What about Bonval? Yeah, Bonvale Bonval is beautiful too, but you need to drive there a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and what about biking? We've uh, you, done a lot of bike riding up around here. Yes. And I'm going to get to the one of your questions later on, but you have deliberately chosen, I think, to choose and to ride a gravel bike
1: rather than a VTT mountain bike. I'm doing both, actually. Yeah? But I think it's... Two very different uh, kinds of biking, of course. Uh, the mountain bike, it's I love it. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's it gets really close to skiing. The feelings you get riding down and you know turning and jumping and uh, so, so 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 that's that that would be the fun part of biking. And the gravel biking, it's uh, yeah, it's a lot of effort. Uh, it takes you to beautiful places. You can cover much more distance. So it's a kind of biking that's yeah, somewhere halfway between the fun of mountain biking and the uh, hard training of road biking. So uh, take a little bit of both and you get something that's really cool. And I understand that it got so popular recently because... Yeah, yeah I need to buy one.
0: Yeah, you're going to love it. Yeah. Tell me about Sweden. So how did that love affair with the Northern Europe, you know, Norway and Sweden, how did that all start? And tell me about your your life up
1: there. It all started, oh, it's, uh, so I was working in Val at that time and I met uh, Charlotte in uh, in a pub <laughs> where all the all the the pub where all the Swedes would go so yeah. I got introduced by a common friend and she was taking care of a small hut above Sand foy at that time so that's that's how it got started yeah and um, she, she's from a region that's really flat uh, extremely flat it's one of the biggest uh, regions for agriculture in Sweden okay. So when she took me there the first time it was not uh not love at at first sight with uh with the region but then i started to really appreciate you know to uh take a break from the mountains and see something different for a while for a few months and get to meet different people and have that have different focus in life so uh that's something that i've learned to appreciate and uh yeah then it was quite natural to uh when we started to have our first kid 12 years ago, it felt, it felt natural to, uh, establish our family up there.
0: Yeah. What's the here in the Morien, our local dishes are more cheese, cheese focused. What are the local dishes up in Sweden where shallot is from? It's a lot of
1: potatoes. <laughs> it's <a> very, it's, <laughs> it's not the, the same. Yeah. It's not that different. You, you remove the cheese and, <laughs> No, it's, it's it's nice. I mean, it's, uh, it's more fish, isn't it? Dried fish, not where we live. Uh, it's more fish because we're closer to the sea, but it's not very very focused on yeah. fish. It's it's a lot of uh, yeah meat and potatoes. So, and if
0: it's so flat, uh, I think I saw some photos of you. Were you ice skating on some of the
1: the, yeah. the rivers and the lakes? We we live, our house is just by a a rather wide river that sometime can freeze in the winter. And this is something extremely popular up there to uh, go ice skating on lakes or rivers as soon as everything is frozen and before the first snow is coming. So you have that uh, really clean ice. Yeah. And I have to say that uh, we didn't, I didn't do that too much but that's that's incredible that's really beautiful For Yeah, you can go quite far across the ice ah, that's you, you can skate really far and really fast and the surroundings the nature when everything is frozen like that that's amazing really, yeah really amazing
0: you got um let's come back to the moria and you got to tell people from a from a local's point of view like where do you take friends to eat or drink uh you know what's your favorite places here
1: my favorite place—it's always been Le Rabelou in Solier. Yeah. You know that restaurant. So I'm, there's some sort of uncertainty about the reopening this uh, this winter. So this is making me sad. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's nice to find a good local place. Especially, there's no local place in Bromont, is there?
1: No, 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 not much. No.
0: Where do you take clients when you're out ski touring? What's the what's the place to?
1: So, so there's, when we go ski touring here, we really try to um, take advantage of all the very different ski resorts that we have. And all the, everything is uh, is close. You don't need to drive that much, even to Bonneval. Uh, so it's, we have a really nice uh, valley to to hunt the, the best possible snow. Yeah. So there's no, uh, I wouldn't say that. I have a classic tour that I'm doing like with every single group, but it's, it all depends
0: uh, on the snow conditions
1: yeah that's that's how we we work,
0: yeah,
1: all right, well, let's move on to
0: work now. Uh, you are a mountain guide, yes, being a mountain guide, are you more of a
1: teacher psychologist, or a coach it's uh i I've been doing this work for uh 20 years or so, and I, it, it's still hard to give a proper definition of it, uh, because I think it can be, it's, it depends on who is hiring you and what they're expecting from you, what are their goals. And sometimes you can be a coach. Sometimes you can be a, a shrink, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, sometimes you can be an educator. So that's, uh, it's very depending on the, on the guest. Yeah, but you. I think
0: when I see you and, and talk to you, being you really enjoy those different roles because you can be a, a mountain guide that just leads a client and pulls a client up the mountain, but I think you enjoy the different aspects of guiding.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's, um, that's very old-fashioned, the mountain guide who's going first and take all the risk to bring his clients safe yeah. to the top and back. I think it's not what people are expecting anymore. Uh, if they've ever been expecting that, but um, I really enjoy the relationship with uh, with the clients. So uh, trying to understand what they're waiting for and giving precisely what what they were expecting to them that's uh, that, that makes me really happy and to, to do that work.
0: Yeah, you said you've been a, a mountain guide for over twenty years now. You can obviously you have obviously clients that you've been with. For years and years now mm. you can have a special relationship with your clients are there any of those special relationships you you still have that you can uh, tell me about um, why why do you have that relationship with the clients that it lasts for so many years
1: uh, so somehow you become friends with them at some point yeah and uh, you can even lose them as clients if you <laughs> when you be really become friends but that's uh, I think that's that's all right.
0: Yeah. Uh, you've obviously there's going to be those moments where you've lost friends and 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 people in the mountains. It's part of the the life. Yeah, it
1: happened. Yeah, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Um where does that love for the mountains come from? Like I've spoken to Fred and uh sorry, I've spoken to JB your brother and he's the same. You you both going from your very young ages out in, in adventures and exploring, but where's it come from? Is it from your father or just being here in the mountains?
1: Yeah, I think it's it was mostly being here in the mountains. I mean, our family, they were they are doing, you know, a little bit of skiing, even a little bit of ski touring, uh, but nobody was really um, – serious about uh going into the mountains and doing it with a lot of passion it was just uh because they were here so but i don't know yeah with my brother we always had this uh i don't know craving for adventure and doing stuff on our own and following our stupid ideas or he told me once
0: that he might have been with a friend or with a client but you're you had your father you organized with your father to pick you up somewhere but you went somewhere remotely and you got lost or the route changed so you had to ring your father and say oh no we're not here you have to come and pick us up here it sounds like that would have happened a lot
1: yeah yeah he's been really uh, nice and flexible with us uh, about that uh, few times i uh, you know i was going from uh, i think that time it was going from valfrejus uh, to um, to valois doing a few days in the SERS and uh, ski touring there. And yeah, the, the weather got bad and we had to change plans and he had to come and pick us up uh, in, somewhere in valmenia I think. Yeah. Came with this crazy old panda. I've
0: got a question about the panda. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but being a high mountain guide, that means it's more alpinism. We've got ropes and harnesses it's climbing
1: explain to me what a high mountain guide is i mean it's it's uh everything you can do in the mountains uh so skiing climbing rock climbing ice climbing uh everything that takes you up to peaks to glaciers and where you have to use uh, special safety equipment like ropes harnesses
0: yeah mm. and you're obviously an IFMGA qualifies yes. mountain guide.
1: One of the hardest uh, qualifications yeah. to get, I think, in the mountains. You know what's the, tr- the real meaning of IFMGA? No. I'm a fucking mountain guide asshole. <laughs> Why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> that's an American mountain uh, guide who Ameri- told that <laughs> one to me. <laughs> I thought that was really good, like giving some... Uh, uh a little bit of uh second degree yeah to the pride of being a mountain guide and wearing the badge and everything
0: yeah but you really you have it on your jersey you have it on your never have, no i've no. seen it on your uh, yeah we have
1: we have it on the on our jacket yeah and uh did you have the the ring or the medallion you still have that yeah i have it somewhere in my treasure box but i never
0: wear it no um So, being a a qualified IFMGA mountain guide, it means like you're the master of walking up mountains slowly. Yeah,
1: actually, the first time I took uh, Charlotta on a ski touring trip to try to seduce her, yeah, she was a little bit concerned because I was walking so slow. She was like, "Is there a problem with that (laughs) guy?" But yeah, we yeah, you tend to, uh, you really want. Your guest to uh, reach the top in good shape and be able to enjoy the skiing down, if if skiing is involved, but uh, or to walk down safe. So we always have this in mind that we need to um, spare some energy. We need the guest to spare the energy. Yeah. So that's 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 not just a legend. We walk really slow. Yeah, I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but one of the things. Um, I'm learning about since living here in France and Europe, is the difference between American ski culture and European ski culture. Um the the American ski culture seems to be a lot more heli skiing and snowmobiles and getting access to the backcountry with yeah. the machines. Whereas in Europe, and I think the style of ski touring you enjoy mm. is more uh no machines, it's all ski touring and human-powered. Hence, why you walk slowly.
1: That, that's true, but I think it's uh, it's more the the terrain that uh, dictates it yeah. than the, than the people who who decided it. Uh, there's a lot of places in North America where you you cannot uh, ski if you don't use uh, machines, right. snow machines, helicopters, whatever, uh, because everything is so remote. If you would have to walk to the mountains where you could ski, it would take you already. Ninety percent of the day, so they, they don't have much of a choice. I think right uh, here everything is is easy, easily accessible, uh, and we have a lot of ski resorts that also with machines are taking us up the yeah, hills yeah, the tel- and the, telescab- the, the telecabins and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. gets you closer to the wilderness. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a little bit about the same. Okay,
0: um, what
1: makes a good mountain guide? the ability to listen to people and understand what they want because uh, you you, you cannot force people into something that you have decided for yourself Uh, and very often the goals and dreams of your clients, they are very different than your own so you need to accept that and adjust to that.
0: And are those goals and dreams of a client's uh, can they be different from what they can achieve versus what they want to achieve you have to watch and listen for that as well
1: absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. The, the, you meet some really uh, not reasonable people that yeah. want to do some stuff that's way above their abilities and yeah, it's either you don't take mm-hmm. the job or you really try to talk to them and uh, make a reasonable plan
0: yeah because yeah one of the things, um, listening, but also I think you're very good at planning, and you probably have an A, B, C, and D. Would that be a fair assessment of being a mountain guide?
1: Yeah, we always have A, B, C, and D, and usually we go uh, all the way to uh, to the end of the alphabet. <laughs> it's it's a lot of uh, adaptation, and you have you have to be dynamic and. Uh, be able to change your plans all the time.
0: Yeah. And what's the main reason for changing the plans? Are the weather conditions or the snow conditions?
1: Yeah, we, we, we are in a, in a dynamic environment. Uh, the weather is always changing. The snow is changing. People are changing during the day. They get tired. They get angry. They get scared. Uh, a lot of stuff, it, 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 it's kind of rare that it goes following plan A.
0: Yeah, um, one of the things I have a I want to. If I said safety third to you, or safety first, is safety first, is that achievable? If I said we're going to make safety the priority, it, 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 we can't have that. So safety should be third. Like I mean, it's like um, it should just be assumed that safety is going to be. In the in the in the thought process of going out in the mountains,
1: I, I think that this is achievable. Safety first, but uh, to to achieve that, you have to remove all the fun from uh, from the activity. Yeah, and I don't mean that you need to take risk to have fun, but I think it's hard if you plan everything for safety and you want to have margins that are so big that you're one hundred percent sure that it's going to go like plan A. Uh, then you might miss the possibility to uh, take advantage of what you see and stuff that you haven't planned and that looks fun and doable and so I, for me it's not about safety first it's about always knowing what your uh, safety margins are yeah if you if i'm if I'm doing that slope instead of this one uh, how much risk am I taking? Is it reasonable so you're risk assessment
0: you're risking you're assessing the risks um looking at what your clients can tolerate as, as risks or accept as risks risk is you always is obviously always assessing risk
1: and re- assessing the situations and um, with the client i'm trying not to um, talk too much about risk i try to uh, focus on their abilities yeah because a huge part of the safety comes from your abilities it it can be how good of a climber you are it can be how fast of a skier you are and uh so yeah that that's that's my focus seeing what people can do in a proper way with uh speed and with safety yeah cuz cer- certain guides can you could pull a client to the top
0: of the mountain but I think it's going to be more fun if you're demonstrating, teaching and uh, educating your clients along the way, rather than just pulling a client up the
1: mountain to to achieve a, a summit. I would, I would never do that. No, that's, uh, that's, nobody has fun in that situation because the guide is struggling and he's stressed and the client is, uh, I would guess that on on some places like everest some people are glad that somebody is pulling them all the way to the top because it's so there's so much so much prestige to it and so much money involved but in our day to day guide job it's pointless
0: yeah all right you've been doing guiding for over, over, over twenty years now uh have you mastered you're you achieving mastery yet or you st- still learning you still uh trying to gain more experience in, you know, re-educating yourself? Ah, there's no, uh,
1: no, I'm the master of known. No, that's for sure. No? No, 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 it's, it's a long, uh, it, I mean, from, uh, from the beginning, from being a beginner to being a master, it's a long way and you never see the end. I hope so. That would be, that would be sad, but uh, no, I'm really trying to uh, stay up to date and, working a lot with uh safety and avalanche education so this is also something that forces me into yeah learning new stuff and seeing what's done nowadays and you know like recently i started splitboarding again so also something that i had to relearn somehow yeah and uh
0: but you you as a mountain guide you are also an athlete you are very fit you're always training always biking always hiking and um your education process always seems to come through like you you talked about your avalanche and your safety and your rescue um things you do every that every year and that's obviously changed um the techniques for uh assessing avalanches and that's that's changed a lot
1: yeah it's changing a lot it's uh it's a science that's quite uh, young and, uh, yeah, since, yeah, f- the last 20 years, there's been a lot of stuff. It's been going in every possible direction, like uh, really hard science to uh, psychology. to. So it's interesting to be up, up to date with everything. Yeah. The,
0: what I mean is, like, you can have all the, you can have your DVA and your, and your pale and your, and your, Shopping. all the rescue equipment. But if you don't know how to use it or you want to be able to, I think your courses are very good at reading the snow and reading the snowpack mm. and the conditions before you get into an avalanche Need ever mm. need
1: that equipment. You don't want to use that equipment, do you? You don't want to use that equipment. And uh, th- there's something really important that it, you don't want to mix up what is safety and what is rescue. As soon as you need, need to use your uh, avalanche backpack, your DVA, your shovel probe, this is a rescue situation and – all the education that we're doing it's to bring people to avoid people to right. end up in that rescue situation they need to find the good snow and stay safe yeah. and have fun and be able to do it the next day so, but that that's, that's that's uh it's it's not easy because when you're doing an avalanche course people expect to work a lot with the DVA and uh and the probe and shovel yeah which is a good thing because you need to learn that but there's a whole lot of things to learn to avoid
0: yeah
1: yes so you're doing
0: a lot of building a lot of um what's it called when you're digging the holes to read the different layers of the snow snow profiles, snow profiles you're doing a lot of that.
1: No. No. <laughs> sometimes, just sometimes, it's it's interesting to do. Or snow is profiles. it just because
0: you know the history of the terrain you're going in, where the avalanches
1: are, what the snow conditions are, or? No, it, it's mostly because a snow profile, especially with guests, it's uh, time-consuming. It takes a lot of time to do it properly. So in. Yeah, in a course situation, it's nice because people then can see the snow and understand there's a lot of things you can see and discuss when you do a snow profile. But when you're out skiing, there's a lot of other techniques to get the same information from a snow profile and even much more information uh, without wasting too much time.
0: Right. Okay. When you're in the mountains... We have to be uncomfortable. We have to enjoy being uncomfortable. Um, Liv Sansor said in, when I spoke with her that um, she has the the taste for effort, and she said that people don't have that taste for effort anymore. <clears throat> How would you explain that or define that?
1: Ah, I, I understand what she was meaning. I have the same uh, taste for effort. Yeah, I, I, I like when it's difficult. I like it really. Uh, I don't really agree that people don't have the same taste for effort. I mean, uh, everybody's different. Of course, uh, as mountain guides, we're training a lot and we're in a better shape than somebody who's working in in an office. But I think that people, they love uh, effort. Just just see how crazy popular it became with uh, ultra running, ultra cycling, ultra everything i think i think there's a there's a taste for effort it's yeah. just uh that maybe in the mountain environment there's a lot of stress from the environment from the activity from the risk and if you add the effort on top of that yeah some people can
0: it makes the reward so much better
1: yeah yeah it, it does
0: you know the i'm going to get to it later on but the mountains are a great metaphor for life. You know, to to achieve and get to the top of something, it, it takes effort, it takes time, mm-hmm. and then to enjoy. Like as a bike rider, I love the descending. I wasn't never a climber, mm-hmm. but I had to t- to take the climb up to enjoy the descending. It's the same with skiing. You've got to
1: get to the top to enjoy yeah. the, the descending. Yeah, and it's not a. Uh, it's not for everyone. You need to be trained for that. And it's not every day. The conditions are not always uh, in your favor. So it takes also a lot of patience and you need to accept, accept that you need to train more, accept that you need to learn more, accept that you need to wait for the conditions. That's, uh, that's maybe what people are less and less uh, good at, having, having patience. Just
0: want to achieve it and do it and, and get to it rather than put the effort into it to, to, to achieve it.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah. A question just came to my mind we are talking about summits, but you've obviously seen a lot of sunrises and sunsets <laughs> in your life
1: as a guide. Yes.
0: Can you tell me about some of those uh, sunrises and sunsets?
1: Yeah, so one sunrise that's really amazing is the sunrise when you climb the Mont Blanc. Uh, you see the shadow of the mont blanc that's stretching all the way almost to geneva or in that direction yeah. and you see that huge dark triangle and everything is uh is orange around that's uh i don't like to climb the mont blanc too much for obvious reasons but uh this is something that uh that i really love that's some beautiful uh sunrise what a,
0: uh what about a sunset
1: uh i would say the sunset in norway yeah what makes them special because it lasts forever, <laughs> you 20 or 24 hours. Then, and no, I mean, I was I was there uh, in the middle of November, and at that moment, there's just a few hours of daylight, but uh, the sun—it's like a sunset that lasts two hours. Wow! And uh, it's really beautiful. Every everybody thinks about the midnight sun, like the summer, like the peak of the beauty and the. Uh, in in the in the above the arctic circle but i really love the end of the of the sun season if i can say so yeah Th- that gives some lights that are amazing
0: all right maybe i'll see it one day i've definitely got mont blanc on my list to uh, to try and climb that one day yeah um i've got some other themes i want to talk about not necessarily being a guide specific but these uh, are about guiding and and leading people but um what are the ingredients for a great adventure? Because uh, <laughs> you've you've done lots of adventures. What 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 do you need to have a good adventure?
1: You need to have a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you need to have not too much planning, just the right amount of planning. Because too much planning, it's not an adventure anymore. Yeah. So, uh, it's not something that's easy to communicate to people who really like to have things squared and planned, but, uh, I really. When was your last adventure? <sighs> wow. The last adventure, it was, uh, when I went to <clears throat> gravel cycling in, in, Alban- in Albania in October. Yeah. I had a group of people who were are really open to uh, this kind of mindset, but still they were asking me, oh, can you send us like a tra- GPS, a GPS to, yeah. track or what are we going to do? I was like, yeah, I have no idea what you're going to do. We're <laughs> going to start from A, we're going to finish in B. And what's going to happen during the whole week between A and B, we'll, we'll uh, improvise by the day, by, even by the minute. And it went really fine. So, uh, and the clients had a good time? Yes, they did. You, we- you had a
0: good time? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 fantastic time. And speaking of gravel adventures and gravel biking, I was going through your social media feed and I saw a photo of you. You competed in the race across France. I did. Yeah, <laughs>
1: tell me about that experience and, and why did you choose? Why did you decide to do race across France? So it was it was in 2018, and uh, it was just the very beginning of the ultra cycling races, and uh, I was looking for something close not too much uh, driving or flying to go to the starting line and I stumbled on the website (coughs) and I just signed up Uh, as I had no previous experience I had to uh, (coughs) I had to really uh, beg them to take me (laughs) (coughs) (coughs) but uh, they did eventually and I
0: really enjoyed it. How many hours did it take you, how many days, what did you do?
1: Uh eight days. Eight days and what was where was the start and where was the finish? So the start was in Cannes on the on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And the arrival it was the finish line was in uh, Le Touquet. So uh it's all the way north, it's on the Côte de Pal. It's yeah. uh yeah, north of France, close to not not so far from uh Dunkerque and uh what did you learn about yourself in this experience? That there's no limit to what your body can achieve yeah. if, if, when you unplug your brain from it somehow. <laughs> One of the things I've been reading about
0: when you do your tours is, um, exploration and adventure, but also immersion and sharing cultures and with over food and mm. enjoying an immersive cultural experience. Um, Why are your tours
1: different from other tours? So uh, what I'm doing for every tour that I'm doing in Norway, in Albania, in anywhere in the world, I'm going where I have a strong connection with the place, thanks to uh, people living there. Uh, I think it makes a huge difference for the people who are traveling with me because then they feel, they don't feel like tourists. It's not a bad word, but it's I mean
0: more well, like a local
1: yeah so 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 they they get this local feeling, and uh they get to experience much more, so that that's what I'm doing yeah, and with the locals comes the food and you know just just i it, it's hard to explain that feeling of being part of something, not just visiting another pile of stone and snow and because obviously the mountains there. All the same.
0: Yeah. But the that experience of connecting with a local person and that feeling you get when there's that familiarity, mm. that rubs off on the client and they feel that familiarity and that uh, that connection when it's more friendly rather than just uh, arriving somewhere new. Mm. I think that's important for um, when you're going on, tr- on holidays.
1: Yes. The, the, I mean, I have a lot of discussions with my guests after the trips and that's, Very often, if I ask them what was the best part of the trip, uh, it's not always that skiing comes first. It's the people you meet. Yeah. And I I really don't take it as an insult for my, (laughs) for my job, but uh, totally to the contrary, I really, I think that's my biggest achievement. That people, they love their trips with me because of the familiarity with the people and the proximity with the culture and then of course we do some good skiing or some good biking but uh yeah it's always the the people you you meet and the food and drinks that you have that you remember rather than the maybe the the climbing or the skiing i mean yeah the, the need for social connection it's top of the it's top of our needs yeah knowing that you've traveled around a bit
0: to different places in norway and sweden and uh france and europe you are always connected to the mountains what do the people in the mountains have in common? Like, what are the characteristics of mountain people?
1: Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about it a little bit, but uh, I don't have a um, very straightforward answer. I think people are different. Uh. How are we different? How are they different? How are they different? because i think that the culture that comes with your family and your country and have different levels it's stronger than things that are coming from your environment i think the the environment shapes you as a human but yeah. there, there's a there's a limit to it uh, the mountains have shaped just shaped you but what do you find in common when you're in, in these environments I would say that most of the people, they have the sense of uh, effort. Like things don't come always as easy as you would wish. Uh, You need to work uh, because the environment is hard. Uh, You cannot always do what you want. So that's something that people have in common. So they they have also much more... um, uh, How can I say that the... um, they collaborate yeah they help each other much more but i think people that would live by the sea and would like fishermen they, they would say it's the, the same. same but uh in, in hard environments you get a sense of community and of uh the importance of helping out each other
0: yeah it's uh it's one of the things i've really felt here since i've moved here is, is it's a small village small uh but i really feel connected mm. And the thing I enjoy about meeting you and some of your friends is like the collaboration to put on the the mountain bike event, the Endure Des Jours and and some of those things. It's a real collaborative effort and, uh, you know, someone's building a house, you all help each other and it's a great feeling here. Mm. Being wild and being in the wild, what does that mean to you? So you, we live in the Oort Morien, which is a very wild and remote place, but you're so... Go to the wilds of norway and sweden do you do you need this feeling of being wild and remote and silence oh yeah yeah
1: why uh, why because it uh, uh it brings this feeling of freedom and uh just the idea that you can draw your own path both uh, in in reality and also in your mind, yeah. you can decide where you go and what you want to be, what you want to do. That's uh, the, that's the best.
0: And Have you achieved that in your life, or you you're working towards that in your life?
1: It's always a work in progress. Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, choosing the wild places, it means that you often the first people, first first tracks, first lines um it must be
1: pretty pretty special too yeah it's it's very special uh it's something it's so different from here because like the place where i used to ski in norway where i've been skiing for 15 years now there's there's so few people skiing there that there's very few informations about the the ski the skiing possibilities and most of the time you ski a couloir and you ask the locals if it was a first descent or not. So first, nobody really knows and also nobody really cares, cares yeah. because there's, I mean, there's thousands of, of, of couloirs and slopes that are just waiting for somebody to ski them and doesn't mean as much as it can mean here where all the mountains have been uh, skied and climbed and from every possible direction. So that's a big difference.
0: Does that um, build self confidence and, and, uh, yeah, does it
1: build self confidence doing that sort of stuff? Self confidence, yes. Or independence? Yeah, more independence and also, uh, humility because, because it doesn't matter.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's it. Yeah.
1: But first runs is, um,
0: there's a lot of trails here that you can discover on your mountain bike or your gravel bike too. That must be a, a nice feeling too to discover this these valleys
1: uh on a gravel bike and be the first people to do it. Yes, that's uh it's exactly the same uh, mindset on on skis in the mountains or on a bike, could be a gravel bike or mountain bike, just uh I don't know I'm attracted by uh adventure, even small ones. Yeah uh, like I told you about yesterday with Cedric we were cleaning a new single track that I discovered when I was just taking a walk and suddenly I saw this kind of path com- coming from the side and I started to follow it all the way up to uh to the next road and just this getting lost in the woods and trying to find uh, some some something new to to ride that's uh that's You don't need of, to take a a big trip or a big overseas trip to have an
0: adventure. You can have an adventure in your bu- old Mac yard.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, as long as we talk about, uh, doing something like skiing or biking, we absolutely don't need to go anywhere else than where we are. Yeah. So there's, there's everything that we need here. The, the, the long trips, it's more about the culture and opening your mind to, uh, a, something a totally different reality. I think that's very healthy too, but, uh, it's, but it's something different. Speaking of backyards, I want to sort of talk about, uh, parenting and
0: fatherhood and family. Obviously you have three, three beautiful daughters. Um, are they developing the same love affair for the mountains as, as you and Shalora?
1: I don't know yet. Uh, it's taking time, I think, because they're really between these two cultures. It was not easy to bring them here because they they went to a preschool and they started school in Sweden. So uh, so it was a big change for them to come to Morien. So I don't think that they were too excited about the mountains, but but they they start to uh, to enjoy it. Yeah, like when we when we took that first uh, ski touring trip this season. A, what was that two or three weeks ago? The reaction of the kids was, "Why not us? This is not fair." <laughs> Because you 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 don't have ski touring equipment, you know. Yeah, <laughs> you, haven't, you
0: haven't modified it for them yet?
1: No, no, no. They need to learn how to ski properly before.
0: Do you have the... Um, now that you're a father, is the pull of the mountains to be exploring with yourself versus the pull of the family? Is that something you're struggling with now? Not yet. Not yet? Not yet. Um, And... Are the mountains or being outside? Of, is that a great teacher for kids? Oh yeah, that's
1: the best teacher. Mm. Yeah. yeah, they learn a lot. And I mean, they are half Swedish, and in the Scandinavian culture, being outside it's very, very important. We spend a lot of time outside.
0: Sweden is. It, I read somewhere in Sweden, you have the right to roam anywhere. Is that is that a, is that yeah, a, is that a fact?
1: And that's uh, so so that's. In every Scandinavian country, so you have the right to roam. So uh, walk, pick food, uh, put your tent and sleep anywhere. There's no private property in that sense, as as long as you're uh, respecting the proximity to houses and people. And the, the thing that's really special about Sweden, it's that it's a constitu- constitutional right.
0: Yeah, it's nice to be able to just go anywhere. We have, have it
1: marked in the law. Yeah, so it's very different from here. And like, if you would compare to USA, it's uh, it's another world. It's another yeah. planet. And obviously,
0: having a family now is having sh- uh, your wife understanding your need to be in the mountains and her having a, an appreciation of it. Does that help help you and help your uh, your life to have a, the balance and the the freedom to? be in the mountains.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's very, very important. And Charlotte, she's really um, supportive and also she knows what I'm doing. She, she has the same love for the outdoors and the mountains. So, uh, it's not like she's, she's just accepting it. She's understanding it. And when I'm back, we can talk about it and we can try to take every opportunity to also do it together. So that's, uh, it's perfect. Has your relationship with the mountains changed over the years
0: from when you were, you know, young and adventurous in the, twi- you know, early late teens to now in your forties, has it changed over that time?
1: Yeah, it, yeah it, it changed. Of course. Uh, I think the first thing is just growing older. I've spent enough time in hospitals and, uh, I've had enough troubles. So I'm trying to, uh, really enjoy more simple stuff and, uh, I don't need to take the same amount of risk than when I was 20. And that's a really good thing because it was a lot of it (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, having kids and uh, having projects and hopes and dreams for your family that uh, they're bigger than you now. Yeah. Much bigger than me. And
0: talking, thinking about bigger than us um, and seeing the things change over time. I want to quickly talk about climate change and, and what you've seen and observed in the mountains over the years. Are you, have you seen the effects of climate change, whether it's the snow or the glaciers or rockfalls? Is that something you're more aware of now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, you would need to be really blind not to see the glaciers shrinking first. Uh, and... um climate being chaotic and less predictable uh, with a lot of very extreme events Uh, like yeah this this morning everything is nice and white outside but uh, we know that uh, the temperature can rise to uh, unexpected levels in the coming days if I don't wish for that but uh, I know it's a possibility it can rain or it can snow like crazy that's uh, that's our experience of climate change here
0: what about um the effect on your job um the, the, some of the classic routes you would have climbed are changing the seasons are
1: changing yeah one of the most sad effects is that we ski less and less in the forest which is a shame because that's how we grew up skiing and that's something really fun that i love to do and it's kind of, uh, it's not very often that we get the right conditions. We can ski in the forest here in Morien all the way down. It happens still, but uh, not as often as before.
0: One of the things since I've lived here and I have a in Lonsvilla, I can see the glacier, Font
1: the Rons?
0: The The And I've seen that glacier become smaller and smaller every year. You can see the Dom Perchet and the Glacier
1: mm. Vanoise in your lifetime. It's obviously way smaller. Oh yeah, uh, you know the most impressive. I think so. In the early 2000s, I was working in Chamonix, and when we were skiing the Vallee Blanche, the older guides, the ones who were 20 years older than us, they would say, "Oh, you know, at the end of the Vallee Blanche." Back in the days, we would just glide out the glacier and start to ski down on the road down to Chamonix. And at that time, uh, we had to walk like 100, and, 100 meters, 150 meters. And now, now, today, it's a long walk. Yeah, it is 500, uh, 500
0: steps up the... the. Yeah, it's I'm huge... not
1: even talking about the, the telecabine, but oh. just just going up the hill to the Mote. And then when you want to keep skiing all the way down to Chamonix, and now no, no, that's that's quite a hike. I haven't been doing it these last years, but uh, so so this glacier in 40 years, uh, it lost uh, a few hundred meters maybe yeah. at that spot.
0: Another thing I wanted to talk about is, I know that your history is in Finnmark and Norway and Sweden and the Alps. Um, have there ever been a desire to do Nepal and Everest and those bigger mountains? Is that... <laughs> Something you've ever thought of?
1: Not really, actually. Uh, I, I, I focus only on skiing for my, for my work. And as far as skiing is concerned, I really believe in, uh, smaller mountains, a little bit smaller.
0: Yeah.
1: Usually they get, uh, better conditions, the big, big mountains. It's uh, it's more climbing.
0: If you've been to skiing in sort of the South Americas, but uh, USA or spent time USA, there.
1: yeah, USA,
0: yeah. What was the what was the experience like in the USA? Where did you go in the USA?
1: Uh, I have some really good friends in Colorado, so uh, and luckily for me, they they live in a really uh, small valley. That's a little bit like the Morian of Colorado. It's uh, totally unknown. And the mountains are a little bit smaller than all the bigger peaks around. So they get some really good snow conditions. Uh, So my experience of skiing there, it's just wild, remote, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Before I move on to the next section
0: of how you play, my last question in this area is like, do you still look at the mountains the same way? Like when you leave and come back or you're in the mountains, do you still see the mountains and go, wow, and have that awe, that feeling?
1: Yeah, always. It's it's even getting stronger, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. I want to talk about play now, how you play, which it's strange for me to say that because your job is just playing. You know, you you're, you don't have, have you ever had an office job?
1: No, never. So
0: you don't know what weekends are. Every day is the weekend for you. So, And I asked this question to Liv and other mountain guides, and they don't play. They, well, they don't need um, another job. Their, their job is playing. Is that the same for you?
1: Yeah, I don't, it's hard to see any difference between playing and working, honestly.
0: So do you have any hobbies or passions like um how do you switch off like let's say you've been on a big tour how do you switch off i bike you bike <laughs> Not <Another> a plane
1: <laughs> no I, I i i love reading yeah i read quite uh what are you reading at the moment i'm reading a book called the weather machines it's about the um, history of uh, weather forecasting
0: is that um I I watch watch stuff in the the US ski resorts and ski touring. They have dedicated weather forecasts and
1: avalanche Mm forecasts. Is that
0: something we have here in in France?
1: It's not uh, really working the same way, but somehow it's, uh, yeah. It's just different. Yeah, they they had observers in the resorts back in the days, but they don't have the funding to uh, maintain that system. So now it's only professionals and selected professionals.
0: Oh, yeah, because I follow the ski patrollers around for a week in Valsini and every day they they uh, phone into the weather department mm. and give all the mm. details and yeah. statistics of the snow and yeah. the rain. But I don't know how they use that information. So
1: Yeah, they they use the information, but it's not all the results that are sending it yeah. right now. Okay. So how else do you um, relax and
0: chill out and just decompress after a big day in the mountain or a big tour?
1: uh i'm brewing beer yeah yeah good beer
0: yeah i hope so
1: where did this passion like for it. beer come from well i always uh love to drink it so <laughs> at some point you think maybe <laughs> you i should try drink, to, yeah. to, to to make it too
0: <laughs> so what sort of uh beer are you you making here because uh, you're making this with your brother aren't you yeah
1: yeah now we're trying to do a uh, hoppy beers because it's quite hard to find good hoppy beers in France, unfortunately. And you're asking where the passion was coming from. I think it's a lot from the travels in, to Colorado, because they have a lot of uh, small breweries there making ex- extremely good beer. So um, yeah, that's where maybe where the taste uh, is coming from. But yeah, hoppy beers and uh... have you done you've you've done a few um, batches now,
0: haven't you? Oh yeah. And is it getting better or you it's, it's
1: getting better. The ingredients, the the formulas progressing? The formula's progressing. We bought some better equipment, so it also helps a lot to uh to make better beer. I asked this a few years ago when you, you told me about it, but have you got a name for the brewery yet? No, not yet, because we, we, we still drink all of it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so So just just
1: homebrew. Yeah, it's just homebrew. And uh, what are the plans for the for this uh, passion project of yours? I think that when I'm gonna be back to Sweden, I'm gonna try to make this a little bit more seriously, like maybe trying to sell some and uh, having more of a, of a regular pr- production, like because now it's only now and then.
0: Yeah. You don't have a place to store the equipment and a permanent home for we, us. We
1: don't have a place to brew, so that's, that's the thing. Uh, last year, the Termignon, they were nice enough to uh, let us do it in the um, community uh, building where they have this kitchen in the yeah. Salle des Fêtes. So that was uh, really nice of them and it helped a lot. But uh, when you want to do it in your basement or it's too messy. Yeah, too messy.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, um, I think we're ready to do the Beyond the
0: Mountains quiz. Ooh. Are you ready? No. Let me let me bring up the quiz. Uh, where is the quiz? All right, I've got the quiz ready. So this, I've designed this questionnaire to re- to reveal your true mountain character your beliefs and aspirations you have 30 seconds to answer each question so the first thing that comes to your mind are you ready for the beyond the mountains quiz yes i am all right fiat panda hell yes or hell no what was that fiat panda hell yes or hell no hell yes junopy hell yes or hell no hell no (laughs) what was the last piece of equipment you bought
1: I'm not buying that much equipment. I get it for free.
0: Okay. Uh, Your favorite place to take clients in the Morien? The Montfroid. Montfroid. Are there any secret places you can tell me about? No, they're secret. Favorite season? Winter. Favorite mountain? Stortind. Where is Stortind?
1: It's in Norway. All right. What's the best piece of advice someone's given you? Uh, Don't listen to anybody's advice. What's good about living in the mountains? You get to do what
0: you love, easily. What's bad about living in the mountains? You're far from people. What's the most French thing about you?
1: I'm easily annoyed. What's the most Swedish thing about you? I easily say yes. Do you have an Opinel knife? Yes, I do. How many? A lot of them from Igor. Me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> What's always in your backpack?
1: Mittens. Mittens.
0: Uh, you're on a. Big adventure or big expedition. What's the one luxury item you miss? Shower. What's something on your bucket list you still want to do? Baffin Island. Baffin Island. It's in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. One beautiful thing you've seen when you've been outside in the mountains. Whales craziest gear hack repair or weight saving?
1: I'm really bad at repairing gear. All right, um, what's the biggest
0: thing that annoys you in the mountains? People following tracks. Uh. On your first tour or epic adventure,
1: what was it and how did it go? First epic adventure, it was in uh, Nepal in 2002 and it went bad. Why? Uh, we underestimated the, our goal.
0: Okay. When was the last time you went to a movie cinema or out to dinner in a restaurant?
1: Restaurant, it was in Norway two, two weeks ago. Two weeks ago.
0: What was the gnarliest adventure in the mountains, whether it was on skis or bike? There's been so many of them. All right. What's your most useless talent?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a hard question.
0: All right. Next question. What's your most underrated piece of gear?
1: Underrated piece of gear? Um, I, try, I think that I I don't like to carry so much, so I only take the essential. All right. <clears throat> uh, have you ever been scared in the mountains? If I've been, sorry? Have you ever been scared? Oh, yeah by the thunderstorm.
0: Why was the thunderstorm
1: scary? Uh, because you feel really powerless. There's nothing you can do. You cannot hide. It's don't, you cannot run. You can just hope for the best. Uh, have you ever had a real job or an office job? I've been working at the cooperative in uh, uh-huh. lanse le bois Oh, the dairy, the, the milk cooperative? Sleeping yeah, both for uh, almost a year, which was almost a record at the time. <laughs>
0: What was your most emotionally challenging time in the mountains?
1: Emotionally challenging. Maybe bringing a blind guy and his sons up to a glacier here in Morien. Pretty nice. Yeah, that was that was something that I uh, I'm gonna remember for a long time. What sport or activity do you wish you're better at? Snowboarding.
0: Are you still slacklining? Yes. Hardest or no? I won't do that one. Um, you have a week off starting tomorrow, where do you go?
1: To Norway, lots of snow right now up there.
0: A big day in the mountains or a big tour, what's your post-epic meal or
1: food of choice? <laughs> <laughs> oh, when it's a really long day, it's usually there's these three meals, it could be pizza, burger or kebab. <laughs> it's all I can think about favorite hobby or interest that may
0: surprise people Uh, maybe brewing beer yeah do you like to ski or bike
1: alone or with friends I like to ski with friends I like to bike alone if you could do a multi-day
0: adventure in the mountains who would you choose celebrity personality politician friend i would choose uh, my wife what's something you're proud of my kids all right that's a great way to finish off that section the last section now um is the lessons that mountains teach us how do the mountains
1: make you feel free free to make my own choices and make my own mistakes okay what do the mountains teach us about life that uh everything's possible there's no real limit keep going keep going i mean it's when you used to go on adventures in the mountain at some point you you realize that you don't have to follow guidebooks or other people's advice and you can make your own way and make your own choices. And most of the time it's going to end up in a, in a positive way if you're smart enough and if you're humble enough. So, yeah, that, that, I think that's that's a great life lesson that uh, you don't have to listen to people around you. All
0: right. The last question, and I gave you some uh, homework to do last night, but uh, can you share a story with us?
1: Yes, I can. Because you've probably got many stories. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But share a story with us and uh, we'll wrap it up there.
1: Yeah, so it's it's, it's not really a story that uh, is happening all the time in the mountains, but it's the story about how I get to Finnmark to this really not very well-known place in Norway. So 20 years ago, I was sitting in my uh, apartment in Chamonix and I had a phone call from a random American guy. We, we happened to have a... Somebody in common that we knew, a French girl living in Colorado. She had my phone number, gave it to him. And he was like, hey, man, I'm, uh, I'm on my way to Chamonix. That's where I was living. Uh, there's no more train, no more bus. I'm sitting in Albertville. Can you come and pick me up? And I didn't know that guy. It was one and a half hour drive away, and I had nothing special to do at that time, no family. I was like, yeah, sure, I'm coming. <laughs> I came there, drove that guy back to Chamonix, It was nice. So he told me, "Ah, tomorrow uh, I'm meeting some friends. They're coming from Northern Norway to ski in Chamonix. Do you want to join us? I was like, yeah, sure. So the next day I'm meeting that bunch of crazy people from Northern Norway and that American guy from Colorado. We had a good day skiing in Chamonix, but it was not super nice. Lots of tracks and lots of people. And they were so nice. I told them, all right, I'm taking a week off. I'm taking you to my valet in Morienne. And you're going to see what are real mountains. So they came here. We had the crazy weeks, really good skiing, party every night. We became best friends, all of us. And they told me, ah, but why don't you come to uh, our place uh, next winter? So uh, next winter, I was up there with some friends from here fell in love with the place and directly i thought all right i have to bring my guest here they 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 need to see that so that's how everything got started so for me that was the lesson saying yes to crazy ideas and being open to uncertainty almost all the time it brings good stuff in your life
0: that's a great way to uh finish the, the the episode thanks very much thank you and um where can people connect with you? So, uh, social media. What's the best way to follow you? Yeah, you can. Yeah, on uh, on Instagram. The Upguides account. Up guides and your personal one is North North No South. North, north of, of No South. Yeah, I'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah. Um, people can book a tour, whether it's ski touring or an Albanian uh, gravel bike tour with you on uh, UpGuides, the website to put the links there.
1: Yeah. But the best if they have their own stupid ideas, I'm really happy to hear about it. All right. <laughs> and,
0: um, Coming up to winter time now. Uh, you've got a uh, safety course coming up just before the start of winter. So it's a great uh, th- something to people to think about as well.
1: Yeah, we have one in Orel on the 9th of December and another one in Valsuni on the 17th of December.
0: All right, Fred, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to hear more stories from beyond the mountains, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find me on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Please leave a comment and review. It helps with people to find the show. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond the Mountains Podcast. So please like and follow the show. And remember, the mountains are more than just rock and ice, but the mountains are made up of the people who live, work, and play in them.